Welcome to the fourth season of Version 20 Podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you are a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murdering 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get to this week's episode. In the small city of North Battleford in Saskatchewan, resides the Sweetgrass First Nations. There, Crystal Paskaman was raised with her four younger sisters, who adored her. Crystal was athletic with a thin frame. She was sweet and pretty, with long dark hair, bright eyes, and a quick smile that lit up a room. Crystal was fun-loving and enjoyed being around people, but could be a little too trusting. Perhaps she didn't want to believe there were evil people in this world. After graduating high school in 1997, she attended a year of Bible college, then a year of university. She had aspirations of becoming a social worker and dreamed of having children. In 2000, Crystal decided she needed a change and moved to Saskatoon. She rented an apartment and worked at a local bar waitressing. Crystal was soon drinking four to five nights a week and got caught drinking at work. Just after Christmas, on December 28th, Crystal went to a bar to have a night of fun. Dressed in blue jeans, a white t-shirt, black vest, and a red straw cowboy hat, Crystal got noticed. Also at the bar that night was Kenneth McKay, a regular for the last six years that the staff knew well. Ken's life wasn't going great. He was a family court over a child he shared with his ex-wife. Remarried for almost a year, his second wife had just moved out. She found out he forged her name on a check and tried to cash it, but got caught and landed in jail. Ken was released with a condition that he had no contact with her. A truck driver with his own semi, it was in the shop, which really didn't matter at the moment because Ken was disqualified from driving. To make ends meet, he was using his rusty brown Ford pickup to deliver pizzas for a local restaurant. Crystal partied the night away. The Star of Phoenix newspaper described as she playfully tossed her red cowboy hat onto the dance floor several times during the evening. As the night wore on, Crystal had gotten drunk but was still functioning as far as her friends were concerned. Later that night, Crystal asked the bar manager for a ride home, but returned a while later to say she'd be getting a ride with someone else. It was after 2 a.m. when the bar called out, last call. Ken and Crystal sauntered up to the bar. He ordered a drink for himself, but Crystal declined. Ken asked one of the bartenders what he thought of Crystal, and he replied that she was attractive. Employees then saw Ken leaving the bar with Crystal and heading to his truck. Ken drove a few miles east of the city 
on Township Road 372, also known as Agra Road. It runs through a green belt of fields and farmland. On the isolated road, with only the lights from the old board headlights heading through the darkness, Ken pulled over. He made advances toward Crystal, but she wasn't interested. He persisted. She said no. That angered him, and he violently attacked her. Crystal fought to escape and made it out of the truck, but he followed her and hit her with his fist so hard that he broke her jaw, causing a tooth to fly out. Ken winced in pain from the cut on his hand. Crystal was laying on the gravel road when Ken jumped behind the wheel and drove over her. A tire crushed her skull. Crystal died at 21. Clothed in only one lonely black sock, he did the unthinkable. He doused her upper body in a flammable liquid and lit a flame. Then deciding he needed to hide his crime, he reached into the bed of his truck and pulled out a heavy-duty chain tied it around Crystal's ankle and dragged her lifeless body a mile and a half down the gravel road. Stopping at the side, he placed her body in a ditch and used a shovel to cover it in the snow. Ken turned the truck around. The tire spun and coated the snow in blood. At 5.30 a.m., a security guard drove over a dark spot on Agra Road. He thought it looked like blood and stopped. He turned his car around and went back. Stepping out, he walked over to the spot and noticed a piece of black clothing. Looking further down the road, he saw another piece, then a piece of a bra, then another piece near a trail of blood in the middle of the road. He'd seen enough to know something was seriously wrong and called police. Then they arrived and upon walking further, discovered two clumps of hair. The RCMP were called in. They found charred and tattered pieces of Crystal's t-shirt, bra and vest. Her jeans and underwear were nowhere to be found. Then they discovered a two-inch square fragment of a skull and knew they were dealing with a violent death. They did not know who their victim was, but knew this was a crime scene. Meanwhile, as Ken raced away, he discovered one of Crystal's shoes and threw it out the window. He realized he'd forgotten to get rid of Crystal's distinctive red cowboy hat. But that would have to wait. He had something more important to do. He visited a doctor to get the cut on his hand looked at. When the doctor asked him a few questions, Ken was evasive 
and wouldn't look him in the eye and told him that he'd fallen down the stairs. The doctor felt uncomfortable. He'd seen this type of injury before and knew it looked like it was from a punch. Back at his apartment, Ken cut Crystal's red straw cowboy hat into small pieces and attempted to flush them down the toilet. But the pieces got stuck in the pipes and water flooded out and under the tiles and into the suite below. At 6 a.m., when the young couple living below Ken woke up to discover the water, they knocked on his door. They could hear the TV, but their knock wasn't answered. Ken panicked. He took the toilet apart and cleared the blockage, then called his landlord telling her the floor needed to be repaired as soon as possible. But Ken couldn't wait for her. He fixed the floor on his own and called her back to say it was repaired. On New Year's Eve, Ken and his wife continued with plans they'd made earlier for a trip to Calgary. Stopped at a gas station, she noticed Ken removed a green garbage bag from the back of his truck and threw it in a trash can. She asked him about it, and he replied it was the stuff from the toilet. When Crystal missed the next few days of work, then New Year's Eve, her friends knew something was wrong and reported her missing. They told police that the last time they'd seen Crystal was when she was leaving the bar with Ken. Investigators retrieved the video surveillance from the bar and confirmed what witnesses had told them. Police wondered if there was a connection between the crime scene on Agra Road and Crystal's disappearance. Thinking about the burnt clothing and skull fragment, they considered it might be Crystal. Police released to the media that they were looking for Crystal and put Ken under surveillance. On January 5th, 2001, they observed Ken pulling into a car wash. His truck was the only one. It was an odd day to be washing a vehicle. The weather had warmed up and the rain was melting the snow. Two undercover RCMP surveillance experts watched as Ken grabbed a spray wand and walked around his truck. He focused on the wheel wells on the driver's side and the back. Although Ken had been a regular at the bar for years, he never returned. On January 7th, he went to a barber shop, had his mustache and goatee trim, and his head shaved. This raised suspicion with investigators, as often people who have committed a crime will change their appearance. Three days later, while his truck was parked at work, police seized it. The entire truck was wrapped in plastic and taken to Regina. Over seven hours, an RCMP chemist and biologist examined every square inch of it. They found blood on the driver's door handle, the center console, and the truck's undercarriage. Meanwhile, they'd received confirmation that the DNA found among the evidence on Agra Road belonged to Crystal. Ken called his wife and told her his truck had been impounded and asked her to meet him. 
She borrowed a car, and when he slid into the passenger seat, he told her to drive because he was being followed. In his hand, he held a piece of paper. After a few turns, they lost the surveillance vehicle, and she pulled over. Ken handed her the paper. He'd written that he was being investigated for Crystal's murder. Two days later, on January 10th, police arrested Ken and charged him with first-degree murder. His wife turned on the radio to hear about the arrest and instantly thought of Ken. That night, wanting an explanation, she called Ken in jail. He claimed Crystal was having trouble with her boyfriend and refused to go home. And when she wouldn't leave his truck, he was forced to drag her out. He drove away, but then worried he might be accused of assault. He turned around, but when he approached her, she suddenly disappeared. Then he felt a thud. Once he realized what happened, he said he couldn't leave her on the road, so he hooked up a chain to move her body. Then he admitted to cutting up her cowboy hat and trying to flush it down the toilet. A few days later, the Saskatoon RCMP asked the public for help in locating Crystal. They confirmed that she had met her demise and that they were looking for her body and asked people to be on the lookout in the fields, trees, and outbuildings. On January 20th, it had been three weeks since Crystal's disappearance. A couple driving into town for breakfast noticed a flock of magpies near the ditch. They recalled the media reports and stopped. Peering from their car, they could see what looked like a piece of bone. They got out and walked over. Using his boot, he gently nudged some of the snow away and was horrified to see a human hand. A ponytail elastic still hugged her wrist, a gold ring on her little finger. A single black sock dangled off her foot, her beautiful face unrecognizable. When the DNA results came back, Crystal's DNA was found in numerous places inside the truck and in its undercarriage. A stain on the inside of the driver's door and on the metal chain in the back of the truck matched both Crystal and Ken's DNA. Her DNA was also found on the belt buckle that Ken was wearing that night. In the back of the truck, they found a shovel and identified similarities between it and the shovel impressions found in the snow where Crystal had been left and forensic investigators had found pieces of her red cowboy hat under the floor tile in Ken's apartment. Ken remained in custody until his trial in May of 2002. Before a jury of five women and seven men, the prosecution presented the DNA evidence and Crystal's co-workers testified. While Ken and his lawyer claimed Crystal had accidentally fallen under the wheel of his truck. After six weeks of evidence, the jury found Ken guilty 
of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole for 25 years. But this story doesn't end here. During his incarceration, the parole board had concerns about Ken and his issues with control and power and his inability to take no for an answer. And a psychologist determined that he was a high risk to reoffend. Saskatchewan Today reported that parole documents revealed that Ken finally admitted he had sexually assaulted Crystal and killed her. And yet, in January 2023, two years shy of his 25 year sentence, the parole board granted Ken early day parole. He moved to a halfway house two provinces away in Victoria, British Columbia. Crystal's family released a statement to the media stating, We know this man is still a threat to all women, regardless of what province he lives in. We pray that no family must go through the hell on earth that we have had to navigate. Ken got a car, a motorcycle, and took a flagging course. It is not clear how or who paid for these. In July, the parole board extended his day parole for another six months. His parole had numerous conditions, including a curfew and that he report all sexual and non-sexual relationships and friendships with females to his parole officer. At his flagging course, he met a young woman. Afterwards, she and Ken worked at the same company. Ken insisted on giving her a ride home as they lived in the same neighborhood and offered to pick her up in the morning. There was something off-putting about his pushiness and she declined. Over the next two weeks, he paid her unwanted attention, phoned and texted her, and tried to forge a relationship. She eventually blocked his number. But that didn't stop him. He showed up at work on his day off, just to talk to her. She felt she was being stalked and sensed that he was someone she shouldn't make angry. So she did an internet search and was horrified to learn about his past. She called her boss, who told her to call police. After obtaining a statement from her, Ken was arrested for violating his parole. Her mother believes that her daughter was close to becoming another one of Ken's victims. In November, Ken's parole was revoked and he remains in prison. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Mac McDaniel and Megan Vergas. Leon harassed and stalked his exes. Newly divorced, Valerie was quick to fall for him. Within weeks, they hired a hitman to take out their exes. But when police discovered their plan, they helped their exes fake their deaths. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. 
We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or Murder20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Verbal Planet for use of their music, sound effect from Fastlane Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers. <laughs>